Hello, and welcome to the Modern Industrialist Podcast, the show where we talk about accelerating transformation in the Industry 4.0 era. Our goal with this series is to help spur adoption of technologies that are critical to industrial innovation by talking about the current trends and challenges that we're seeing in the space. My name is Jason Heeman. I'm the vertical lead for Industry 4.0 at TXI. Some of you may recall that back in episode four, Turley and I recounted our experience attending the Applied Intelligence Live conference in Austin, Texas. What was interesting about Applied Intelligence was the way it brought together experts in a way that we could explore the intersection of industrial IoT, quantum computing, and artificial intelligence. If you listen back to that episode, one of the things we both really appreciate about the conference was the way it facilitated time for meaningful connection between the different attendees in a way that stimulated some really interesting conversations. Well, one of the speakers that we connected with back in Austin happens to be today's guest, Bo Gilbo. Bo is the head of IT asset management and retail infrastructure technologies for Starbucks. Yes, that's Starbucks, the self-described premier roaster, marketer, and retailer of specialty coffee that operates in 86 markets worldwide. For their 2023 fiscal year, which just ended in October, Starbucks had total net revenues of $36 billion from their combined 38,000 company-owned and licensed stores. Listen, it's not like any of you need me to explain what Starbucks is, but I wanted to share those statistics just to put some context around the scale of what IT asset management needs to address at an organization like Starbucks. We had a really interesting and far-reaching conversation with Bo. Besides broadening our appreciation for the role of IT asset management, he provides some great insight for how his team's work intersects with governance, financial reporting, and even sustainability. As it relates to some of the topics we commonly cover here on Modern Industrialist, I think you'll appreciate his point of view on cybersecurity, intelligent or IoT-connected devices, and even predictive maintenance. After the interview, I'll be back with a little twist on our regular feature, What Did We Ask Generative AI This Week? But first, I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Bo Gilbo of Starbucks. Uh, hey, Bo. Um yeah, so I figured a great place for us to start today is um, maybe you could uh, start by just explaining IT asset management, your space. Uh, tell us what you do, uh, what, what you do in general, uh, and the in and why it's kind of neat. Sure. No, I think that's a great question, and I'm going to define the roles uh, based on a mission statement. Okay, and the mission statement is to provide leadership timely and accurate line of sight to data attributes that are associated to the technologies that are deployed in our environment. And what are we trying to influence by doing that? Well, number one, we're influencing our operational excellence and governance. So inspecting what we're expecting of the technologies that are deployed. Uh, from a financial lens, we are looking to help right-size spend. And right-size spend doesn't necessarily mean cost reduction. What it really means is directing your financials into the areas that you can get the greatest return. And then last but not least is really being able to understand and if um, things go as unexpected, you're able to defend the chain of custody of those uh, technologies that you have deployed. So if you think about lifecycle management, right, we in asset management look at it from the inception of an idea, 
where you're going to evaluate, and then how does that get deployed? Verifying and validating what you've bought is being deployed. Then once it goes through the life cycle, if something dramatically changes, such as in uh, you know the traditional iMac, you know, uh, move ad changes, right? Uh, those things you want to track as part of your um, discipline in the organization. And then finally, once you're ready to dispose of a, of a particular technology, what are the right things to do from a sustainability perspective? And then also, too, how do you minimize and mitigate risk but maximize the, re the residual value? So that's really what, you know, the exciting part about IT asset management is for those of us that um, have a wide variety of business experiences, um, you know, it, it's really interesting because you can look at it from a technology perspective, you can look at it from a financial perspective, you can look at it from just a general business acumen perspective as well. Maybe you could um, just help kind of put some of these ideas in concrete for us and give us some examples of assets that you you manage. And, I, you know, in my head, I have laptops. Uh, you know, that's that I, I, I'm just replacing every time you say assets with laptops. Uh, maybe you could help, uh, you know, expand that a little bit more for everybody. Sure. No, happy, happy to. And, and you're absolutely right. I think that that's really where asset management kind of started, right? Which was... Um, people were asked to start tracking the things that were out there, right? And in the traditional office environment, you had desktops, you had monitors, you had laptops. Um, and then as the SEC, as legislation has changed towards publicly traded companies, government entities, et cetera, that you had to be more accountable right? Not only for the physicality of the devices, but also the data, right? That those uh, particular devices may have the intellectual property that is on there, not only that you are creating, right? As a business entity, but the software publishers that you're, you know, using um, their software. So in the case of a Starbucks, um, you know, technology it, it, it really extends beyond just a laptop. If you walk into your favorite Starbucks location to get your favorite Starbucks, you know, drink, by the way, reusable cup. Uh, we, we of course you had a prop to, to bring. Of course. Uh, you know. <laughs> of course. Uh, you know, my favorite happens to be uh, black coffee. Uh, okay. Generally speaking, the... Uh, the lighter uh, blonde blends with a little mm. shot of cream uh, is usually my favorite. So, uh, our go-to, but anyway, the, I, I like to call it from the asset management, the technology allows for our partners to really live the mission of what we're looking at or, or, or trying to deliver, right? Which is every conversation, right? Every uh, person that walks in, we want to, create a connection and really um, establish the limitless possibilities, right? And so the technology that is de deployed into those stores allows for that. So these things range from registers to <laughs> payment devices, to ticket printers, to 
uh, digital order screen, you know, touch screens, you've got servers, there's, there's a whole gamut of technologies, including Internet of Thing type devices. We have smart ovens, we have smart mastrainas, which also kind of come into and add a unique twist to um, the information technology asset management professionals day to day life. I mean, I got to tell you, uh, as you as you talk about this, my brain just kind of expands and expands and expands. And I'm just like, yeah, like technology is everywhere in a Starbucks. And just thinking about the unfathomable scale of, uh, of amount of information you're trying to keep track of, it definitely sort of it's home how this would um, necessitate an entire space of work uh, inside of a big corporation like that. Yeah, I mean, when I first joined Starbucks roughly four years ago, um, the question that was being asked was, well, how many registers do we have across the fleet of our stores? And what are the makeup of those registers? So in other words, do we have a mixed environment? Do we have the same standards? And are they being adhered to? So when you look at that at scale, and Starbucks has over 10,000 company-owned stores in North America, that's where um, the information and centralizing that information, taking data attributes so that senior leadership can very quickly and easily uh, do some calculations, whether it's going into a contractual negotiations with one of our hardware manufacturers, or it's going into a software negotiation with one of our publishers, or better yet, looking at the future technologies and the way that those technologies are currently being used within the stores, are we potentially able to work with our manufacturers in developing even better hardware, better software? I love that. Bo, on a recent episode, we had two experts uh, from the Cybersecurity Center of Excellence. Uh, and that question Charlie just asked you, you identified a lot of assets, a lot of potential endpoints, a lot of potential you know, places of risk, right? So where does cybersecurity come into the locus of what you do from an IT asset management standpoint? Yeah, so cybersecurity, absolutely positively, we share the same goal. And the goal is to protect the intellectual property of Starbucks, period. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now, the way we go about it is similar, but not the same. And so when you think about cybersecurity, right, they're managing all of those endpoints and they're watching them. And I I like to use the analogy of a stoplight, you know, a a traditional traffic stoplight. Uh, where red is stop, danger, take immediate action, yellow, proceed with caution, uh, maybe something's awry, and then green, everything's good and go. So when you look at the traditional endpoint management, the cybersecurity uh, person uh, is busy looking for those anomalies, right? And let's say during your hours of operation, there is a laptop. And from a cybersecurity perspective, they're looking for a laptop and they see green. Well, laptops are turned on, turned off. They're disconnected from the network. So they're not always easily discoverable until they're ready to be connected back onto the network. So what happens if that laptop was refreshed or more importantly, a different laptop 
was you know configured with similar configurations and now goes to access that network right and so it may show up as a green it may show up as a yellow and how we work together with cybersecurity is cybersecurity will come to the asset management team and say hey this is a serial number that is now trying to connect is it a valid serial number within our repository and if the answer is yes or no or maybe right by centralizing those data attributes within your central repository i also have the ability to go in and look at like our service management itsm right mm -hmm. and see well was there a break fix was there a project associated to that so that now i can validate that yes that serial number of that device is a valid serial number here's the project that it was assigned to a cybersecurity person isn't going to necessarily want to know all of that background information unless they have the yellow or red light and I'm sure as, again, you're thinking about more and more things getting connected and being part of the Starbucks network, you have to really work hand in hand with those cybersecurity experts to make sure that you have protocols and approaches in place when they're looking to validate something that is, you know, a non something non-standard, not a laptop, I imagine. Uh, absolutely. And, and I will tell you, because of the complexity of the technology that's deployed in a retail location at Starbucks, um, when we were undergoing this initiative, um, cybersecurity and their architects were the first group that I called. Mm -hmm. um, and I involved them from the inception of discovery methodologies. What are the attributes that we're looking to collect? And what was also beautiful is we were able to partner with the cybersecurity team and some of the data that they were collecting through their management tools, we were able to integrate into our repository. So we get similar data same data but we also get input from other parts of the organization that we can centralize therefore allowing for the ability to take quicker action on those areas of vulnerability yeah, i think it goes back to lots of these uh doesn't even have to be all that big of a corporation uh just silos of people doing doing their jobs um but not being able to easily see what the other is seeing and connecting the dots that are between the two groups. Uh, that's a common story. And I think we're still seeing data at the core of that being a challenge um, to find the intersections of, of these moments and sort of develop, like bringing those little bits of data up a level and kind of generating the, the wisdom that you can, that a person can see through connecting all these dots. Yeah. You know, I, I will add to that because you know it's not that uncommon. Most organizations, they try to break down those silos as best as possible. And as an asset manager that's being introduced to an organization regardless of size, what I'm gonna tell you is that you have to have very strong shoulders because one minute you're a hero, the next minute you're a zero because now you're challenging, right? The status quo. Um, and what happens is, is we're, you know, we're privy to a lot of different data elements that are provided to us. And then all of a sudden, when you create the information to tell the story, right, uh, some may all of a sudden, you know, feel a little threatened because, you know, no one really 
necessarily gets bothered if a thousand dollar laptop right goes missing you know they may prioritize that a little differently based on the organization but i guarantee you if that thousand dollar missing laptop turns into a 10 million dollar lawsuit people care and so if it's the you know, ceo's 10 you know like a thousand dollar laptop it's a little bit of a different story you know right Exactly. And so, you know, even in my own experience, when you're taking discovery data and, you know, you're looking for patterns, right? And the patterns of usage not only can help business leaders make decisions, but it also helps the cybersecurity folks relating back to them to understand, uh, for example, um, we have uh, a handheld device that is essentially was brought into the organization during COVID when everybody was predominantly using drive-throughs. And as you can imagine, if you experienced yourself, uh, I know I certainly did, um, sitting in the drive-through and seeing the snake of cars ahead of you to get your favorite coffee beverage and, and delights from Starbucks can be, you know, uh, <laughs> a little, let's say, demanding on your patients, <laughs> right? And so this, this handheld device was meant for a Starbucks partner to go out and be able to take people's orders. So at least that they knew when they got to the, the screen, all they had to do was pay and, the, and the, their order would be ready for them. Well, what's interesting is when you make that investment and you've got X thousands, right, of drive-through locations such as we have, um, that equates to multi-million dollars worth of technology investment, right? And by determining and showing the patterns of usage of that particular device, we were able to reset the criteria for those stores because everybody wants the latest and greatest technology, right? Hey, that store's got it down there. I want it too. But the reality of it is how many partners are going to stand out in the streets of Michigan on a snowstorm or in, you know, the hundred plus degree heat of the summer in Arizona to, um, you know, kind of line bust. And so just by understanding it, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to not use that technology. You just better, you, you can better set the expectations of how that device is being used, right? And so that's one of these fun little elements that by going in, seeing the data, the discovery data, and going to the business teams, it was allowing them to take a much closer look than what they originally had thought. Um, because their expectation was these were going to be used uh, daily, regardless of the situation. And doesn't it go back to like one of the themes you, you started with, Bo, in terms of like a key role in ID asset management being like right-sizing the spend, right? So like having Absolutely. the right tool in the right place for the right purpose helps to put a finer point on what the right investment is. That's absolutely correct. Yeah, you, you strike me as a, a uniquely pragmatic person. Uh, and we said, we sort of had this conversation with the, um, with the cybersecurity folks of, it's an easy position to take in cybersecurity to say, well, you know, the best thing is to just not have any technology. And it seems like that could be a story for you too. It's just like, it'd be less for you to manage and you would, uh, you could classically veer towards, um, you know, uh, things, 
going stale, being outmoded and being okay with it, right? Being the voice of let's be okay with the situation as is because it's less work for us. Um, how do you, how do you balance the, the, like that, that need for uh, constant change in technology and moving the business forward? Um, frankly, with the added work that it puts on your plate, um, how do you, how do you deal with that? Yeah. I mean, I think that's a really great question. Um, and the way that I view my role, okay, isn't necessarily to make the final decision on whether we're going to spend millions of dollars or not on a particular technology with the hopes of a return on that investment being significant, okay? And the criteria of how you measure that return on investment can be intrinsical uh, or not, right? Meaning I saved or I generated X amount of dollars, right? And then I saved how much in payroll because we made our partners and partners at Starbucks is just another word for employee. We call everyone partners. Uh, if we if we can generate extra time for them to make those connections, we we now know that that is a benefit, right? And some of those are a little more hard to uh, put the the perfect calculation to. So what 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 an asset manager's role really is, and hopefully the 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 folks that jump into this type of role um, do have a wide variety of experiences because you can start looking at the things and saying, well, based on the the business as we know it today, and based on the things that are known today, right here is what we can show, right? And we have a tendency in asset management to complete the equation. Like for example, a lot of folks are real good about talking TCO, total cost of ownership or ROI or opportunity cost. And that is something that sits in an asset manager's mindset each and every day. I'm constantly looking at, okay, if you think about financial right-sizing spend, is leasing equipment, is devices a service versus you know buying equipment, running it through a depreciation schedule? Oh, that's one element. But oh, at the end of a lease, at the end of a device as a service, you still have intellectual property that's on there. You still have responsibilities. A lot of folks will forget about that. And all of a sudden now there's an element that I know how much it costs me to buy it. I know how much it costs me to deploy it. I know how much it costs roughly, right, on how to support it when it's in. But now at the end of that, oh, that's an element now that's really becoming more and more prevalent. Uh, the ESG reporting is kind of, you know, uh, pushing that forward and sustainability efforts also are pushing that end of life cycle and the costs associated to it to the forefront. A good asset yeah. manager understands all of that through the process, through the life cycle. Yeah, I was I was actually just about to ask you that uh, question is I know that, um, you know, Starbucks cares a lot about uh, sustainability um, and it strikes me as you have a, a key role to play there that is really at some of the, the high, the very highest level mission statements of the company. Um, and so that, I think that's um, a lot of times uh, asset management doesn't necessarily seem like the, that, that big of a headline, but I think it really is, is it is uh, the, the sustainability goals being a big, big, big story. I think a lot of people are talking about the, um, supply chain of the coffee, for example, of course, right. 
Um, but think about all the technology that's flowing through this, uh, this company as well. Um, so I think well, in, in, you know, that's an education of all of us, right? Um, I've had the good fortune of really being on the reverse logistics side of things for technology as part of my career. Um, and very quickly, the circular economy, right? To be considered as a circular economic product, right? It means that either innately the product is naturally regenerative or you can take the product reuse it as it was originally manufactured or you can demanufacture it so that the sum of parts can then remanufacture or something or you even you know recycle the base elements to reintroduce the plastics the metals things of that nature back into the manufacturing okay so coffee would be considered a naturally regenerative a naturally circular economic type of product so when you talk sustainability at Starbucks, right, a lot of people talk about the cups, the water usage, the power usage. And so from a technology perspective, uh, we have the ability and we currently do report on of the technologies that we choose or that we have decided that are no longer needed for production and we are going to move on from them 100%. We have a zero landfill policy and those products and we work with those providers that either um, represent those products as originally. So a laptop is a laptop, a tablet is a tablet, et cetera, and re have those remarketed to uh, folks that could that need a portable technology. Right. So they do have the opportunity to reuse it or we take the products that may have some certain things. We make sure they're demanufactured down. So things like the CPU, RAM, maybe the hard drives can be reused for other you know, products. And then even more importantly is if that device has been determined that there's intellectual property, it needs to be shredded. Well, you make sure you work with partners that they are able to segregate and separate all of the different elements that make that up. Again, whether you're talking about ferrous, non-ferrous metals, plastics, copper, all of that. And so that is something that we at Starbucks and as part of our IT asset management strategy, we absolutely collect that information and we report it to our sustainability group on an annualized basis. I really appreciate the detail you're putting into like the life cycle of those materials and the life cycle of those devices. Um, looking at the midpoint of some of the devices that you're working with asset intelligence predictive maintenance these are topics that are like increasingly i think interesting and relevant to our audience so i'm just curious how at starbucks you kind of look at that midpoint in the journey of something in terms of how it's performing and what data you're able to capture and, and how that informs and what role you play in helping inform people around the organization about how those things are are working yeah no that's a great question um, and that you're you're absolutely right in the sense of with asset management and in complement to the service management folks, right? So if you have a system that generates tickets and you are able to identify right down to the asset by one of its unique identifiers, the unique identifiers would be a serial number, a MAC address, an asset tag that you've assigned, right? And so now, for example, um, whether you internally fix the hard, I'll use a hardware 
uh, device as an example. So um, you have a laptop. That laptop has a problem that maybe it's a cracked screen. Um, so it's no longer warranty. So the question you have to yourself, does that cracked screen prohibit the usage of that device? Or can we go ahead and make the repair to that and repurpose it back? Right. And so you do that mathematic to say, okay, yeah, it makes much better sense to reuse it versus moving it down the line. But what's also interesting on those devices that let's say a printer, um, the velocity that you might have in your working environment may or may not exceed the actual engineering that was put into it. And so by watching the, the break fix patterns or the number of uh, visits, if you will, to that specific device. Well, now you can start making some educated decisions because if it costs you, um, you know, $500 to fix a $100 device, well, that math doesn't work out. So you can very quickly determine, you know what, for this type of device, we need to just go ahead and replace it and make sure that the disposition of that asset is in accordance to what we are propagating, which is zero landfill. Oh, um, I think maybe uh, one thing I'm kind of curious about is uh, talk to me about the direction of the space. Uh, like talk to me more broadly, um, maybe with examples in, inside of Starbucks or, or, or not, uh, or um, in the industry at large, but what's, what gets you excited about um the sort of next phase of IT asset management. What's <laughs> what's give, give us the hype. Come on, go. Yeah, go, yeah, go no, on, no, no, no. Right? Wow. Well, first and foremost, um, you know, there. I personally have been involved with an organization. It's it's really the the it's the International Association of IT Asset Managers, and it was created and run currently by Dr. Barbara Rembisa. Okay. And I was introduced to that group as a vendor supplier, right? Selling services and so forth, um, which intrigued my um, curiosity um, and desire to become this influential person within an organization, right? And what was really cool to me is asset management changes every day. There is something unique. And what I will say is that you have the opportunity as an asset manager to touch so many business units within your organization, right? And help influence decisions that at the end of the day can mean millions and millions of dollars of profitability for your organization. It can mean millions and millions of dollars in cost savings. Uh, from a contractual perspective. It can mean millions and millions of dollars of risk avoidance in lawsuits, right? Because that's really the, the amazing thing. So where is this going? Number one, I will say the caliber of individuals that are becoming IT asset managers uh, is evolving. And I see more and more folks uh, with like myself that have been in the industry are looking to make that impact and here's an opportunity to do so. I also look at it as a true career path for 
uh, younger individuals coming out of college, they may focus on a specific discipline. So when you think about asset management, you've got hardware asset management, you have software management, you have the mobility devices. So things like your cell phones and smart devices. And then you have the asset disposition side. So there's really four entrance points. And depending on what your interest is, whether you're a social science major like myself, or you're a finance major, you have the opportunity to really get into technology uh, without being someone who is a coder, a hard turn, you know, a hard school gamer, or you know, things of that nature. Um, so, I think that the opportunities are limitless. Um, they're really just on the forefront. It's really grown in its importance in the organization. And what's driving that? Well. Legislation is driving it. The SEC is driving it. Um, as a matter of fact, the real interesting thing is, is that asset management can sit in a wide variety of businesses uh, within. It can sit in technology. It could sit in finance. It could sit in your sourcing. It could sit in your legal. It could sit in your security. And depending on where that ultimately goes, um, I think it's going to also drive the caliber of people. But at the end of the day, everyone shares the same goal, right? Which is one, protect the brand and the intellectual property of your company. Number two, be financially responsible, right? Right-sizing spend. And then last but not least, be able to provide the ability to defend and protect due diligence efforts within your organization as it pertains to the technology. So what's kind of cool and upcoming? Artificial intelligence, IoT, Internet of Things. Um, you know, I mentioned Internet of Things even in a Starbucks store. You know, we've got ovens and mastrainas. The question is, those were traditionally items that were managed more from a facilities perspective. Well, now that they have technology associated to them, should that fall under the guide, guidance of the IT asset management um, program and, and the elements? Uh, you know, how does cybersecurity start looking at those type of devices, right? Is the likelihood of somebody hacking into a Mastrena a reality? You know, impacting you, you know your favorite latte or your favorite macchiato or what have you. How dare uh, How <laughs> exactly? Dare <laughs> or you know, hacking into the oven and undercooking you know um, your favorite breakfast sandwich or what have you. Uh, you know, and and those are questions that are going to come out um, and and be answered as uh, you know these things continue to be watched on a day to day basis. Um, yeah, it strikes me as like uh, as technology kind of gets into more and more facets of the business, uh, the the role of an IT asset manager uh, is to have more awareness of more uh, intricate details of the business, and I think that drives you towards more collaboration with interesting other parties uh, that kind of make things work. And to me, that it's why it's why I've always been. Uh, a consultant is that I really just enjoy getting to know the details of how these businesses function. I think that's uh, a big part of the joy of sitting in that seat. Absolutely. You get, you definitely get privy to a lot of things. And um, what I'm noticing is that more and more organizations are taking IT asset management 
seriously and they are creating that role that ultimately, just like you have a chief information security officer, a chief financial officer, I think you're going to find that in the future, there's going to be a chief IT asset manager that sits at that executive suite. Um, and then one last thing I'd like to talk about artificial intelligence, uh, because that was a question that was asked a little bit further. You know, artificial intelligence and the usage of it, right, is neither good nor bad. It's the intent of the user. And where I can see some things happening in artificial intelligence is definitely responding around that productivity and the analytics around that pro productivity and doing some predictive and anal analytics towards those devices that have a high propensity of breaking. And it's really cool when you uh, can sit there, uh, you know, as an example, right? If I have a particular device that we have multiple, you know, that's X number of devices times 10,000 that are operating 365 days out of the year. So if I can have something run those analytics for me, knowing that they can gather this data and run those equation analysis in a much faster capacity that I can and come up with a scheduling of saying, hey, this particular device will break in this location roughly about this time based on the elements that we have today. Is that a good or a bad thing? Is that information you'd want to know? Absolutely. And I figure so, the average partner, uh, probably one of the worst things in their job is to have to tell the customer like the system is down you know that that classic like uh statement that is just like man i don't know the the tech is just not working for me it it's it really sucks the 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 joy of the work out of you like and really makes it feel painful well and that, and that goes back to the operational efficiency right when you think of a data center you think of uptime well if you think of a retail environment uptime is equally important Right. Because and what's interesting is you have fail safes and you have multiple uh, devices to keep that uptime and mitigate that risk. But what's interesting is if you watch the ballet of just Starbucks partners as they work with each other as orders, you know, as it's a really crowded day and how they're working between the oven and they're working between the cold beverage station and they're working in the hot beverage station and people taking orders through their headsets. If any of that technology goes down, we may have a fallback, absolutely. But that's just more intricacy and more uh, it, it takes away from their operational efficiency. It takes away from their ability to connect with our customers. I love that. And Bo, when you talked about like the potential future for a C-level person in this kind of role, what's fascinating to me about that is such a critical role for collaboration, such a critical role for bringing like insight to other leaders in the organization where it otherwise might have been dark or unseen, right? So such a great capacity there to just bring intelligence into places where previously you were running on partial information or feel or historical context and be able to get like timely and detailed is just a fascinating capacity of what IT asset management can bring to modern organizations. Yep. No, I 100% I agree. And, um, you know, I may not look it, but I've been in technology for a long time. Uh, you know, even dating back to the Y2K days. And remember, that was the big disruption 
at that time where we thought, you know, Armageddon may happen. Was right. it your job to put the Y2K compliance stickers on all the all the monitors? And the- <laughs> I will tell you that during my, so my role during the Y2K, uh, I was working in the value value added reseller capacity. So working with customers to either a replace the equipment that they were afraid was going to malfunction and get it in their operations as quickly as possible, but also the removal of the equipment that and the proper dispositioning uh, of those technologies as well. So, you know, uh, if if nothing else, I think that it was an interesting time. And so, you know, artificial intelligence, uh, which has been around, but now is really hitting the forefront of people's minds. Um, and it's it's interesting to talk or listen to a lot of the, the leaders um, in different industries and so forth talk about how artificial intelligence is and you know will it ultimately take over you know mankind hey i don't know i mean i'd like to think that uh you know the world is a great place and people innately are good but i also understand that there's there are the exceptions to that rule and there are you know innately evil things out there um, and things we can't always foresee. So our ability to react to that. But uh, artificial intelligence, I think, will have a place in 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 our existence. The level of that, who knows? I mean, maybe we've already seen it in a few movies out there. I don't know. <laughs> I, think, I think the benefit of being uh, on a podcast is, you know, we can stay optimistic. Uh, so we, yeah. we, 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 we brush off the all the doom and gloom and say, you know. I, I I like the way you led is like, I think people are innately good. We're going to figure it out. And that's part of what this, uh, this podcast is all about. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I, I personally think artificial intelligence will benefit. Well, you are an outstanding advocate for the IT asset management space. Uh, I think you really opened uh, the ears of our listeners today to the important aspects of what you do. Uh, Turley and I can't thank you enough for coming and spend some time with us today. Really, thank you so much. Well, thank you. I greatly appreciate the opportunity to not only support your efforts of educating the masses out there, um, but also if anybody walked away with an aha moment, uh, that they can apply to their own day-to-day business and and efforts, whether it's personal or professional, then, hey, I did my job. So cheers to all of you. Happy holidays. Take care. Thanks so much, Bo. All right. Well, I hope everybody enjoyed that conversation with Bo Gilbo of Starbucks. We really appreciate him joining us and sharing so much perspective about uh, his role at Starbucks. At the top of our recording, I promised you all a special twist on our regular What Did We Ask Generative AI this week, and that twist is a special guest. Uh, You've heard us name check him in recent episodes, but I'm very happy to invite our producer extraordinary, Greg Webb, to the podcast today. How are you doing, Greg? Hey, Jason. Doing really well. Thanks for having me. I'm so glad that you could step in and join us and uh, have a little fun. Um, Greg, I have to, I have to tell the audience though, that, um, for someone who is the producer of this podcast, it's almost like you don't understand the rules. Like you asked me three times before we got down to record this, like what I was going to share for my, what did I ask chat GPT? I'm like, Greg, that's not how this works. (laughs) 
I, hey, I appreciate the secrecy. And, uh, you know, I was hoping you would give me some sort of a tip so I could come in a little more prepared to speak to your response, but I'm totally down to wing it. No, that's where the magic is, man. This is how we do it. Love it. So um, I will, though, since you were so curious and so badly wanted to know what it was that I was going to bring to the topic today, I will go first. What, so, so what, did, what did you ask? What, what was well, I have to give, I'll give you a little, I have to give a little context first, man. There's like a little bit of a, a, a lead up to this. Um, so this week, uh, Business Insider and a couple of other tech outlets uh, reported uh, about uh, Tim Cook and the Apple Vision Pro, specifically that Tim had issued a directive that um, he wanted developers specifically uh, to refer to the Vision Pro as spatial computing. Right. So for anyone who's not familiar, the Vision Pro is Apple's latest hardware innovation. Uh, it's been announced as going on sale in February. It's going to retail for $3,500. Um, the specific quote from uh, Apple was that they want developers to refer to apps that they're building for the Vision Pro as spatial computing apps. Don't describe the app experience as augmented reality, virtual reality, extended reality, or mixed reality. Uh, so they are really going all in on this new turn of phrase, uh, spatial computing computing. Um, they also don't want developers referring to the Vision Pro as a headset. It's a spatial computing device. Interesting. So very Apple, very Apple, right? I mean, it's, it's part of their legacy as an innovator in terms of taking the next step with hardware, right? Um, they weren't the first to develop an MP3 player, but completely changed the game. Um, and I think that their strategy of how they name and refer to things uh, is a big part of their magic in terms of how they really change consumers and users' expectations and way of thinking about the way they interact with technology. Um, but at the same time, I thought it was fair. It would be fair to have a little fun with spatial computing, really. Um, so I popped into ChatGPT4. And as many of you know, the model uh, for GPT4 is trained up through April 2023. Uh, so I started with uh, asking it how familiar it was with the Apple Vision Pro device. And it was actually able to use the Bing plugin to do a quick search. Um, and that basically got it up to speed on what the Vision Pro could do. Uh, and again, the great thing about ChatGPT is it basically carries forward information from each of your subsequent um, queries in a chat. So I, then I got to my, my core question here. I said, Apple is suggesting using the phrase spatial computing for the activities one can use the Apple Vision Pro for. They think this should replace AR and VR as common terms. And so I asked, what do you think are some other novel phrases we could coin and use instead of saying spatial computing? And I said, I asked it to give me five serious and five whimsical answers. Um, and it, it came through. It came through. Um, I'll give you a couple of the serious alternatives. Um, one that it offered was reality fusion, uh, emphasizing this merging of digital and physical realities. They talked about a immersive interface, um, highlighting the depth of interaction and immersion. They talked about dimensional synergy. That one I quite liked uh, because it suggests the harmonious combination of different dimensions. 
uh, it offered me as a suggestion an enhanced reality matrix, uh, which it said underscores the complex and enhanced nature of reality as experienced through advanced technology. I thought it was okay. Um, and its final serious suggestion was interactive realm technology, which I think is just really a mouthful. So have you figured out a way to queue up the perfect prompt for ChatGPT? Do you always get the answers that you're looking for in the first go? Or do you find that you have to do a few, a few revisions to your prompt to get it to spit out the perfect answer for you? I'm just curious what your experience is. Yeah, I would say more often than not, it takes me a couple of cracks, usually like two, or between two and four attempts to really get uh, the detail I'm looking for. Uh, Half the time, though, when we're doing this, um, I'll specifically go at it on one go, right? Just in terms of, <laughs> just to illuminate for our audience um, the uh, the um, the the limitations, right? In terms of like how uh, just a simple prompt uh, can give you, and I think there's something kind of also um, interesting or amusing in terms of just sharing the first response that I get back from the uh, from the model based on what I put in. I feel like that's kind of like an interesting um, learning that I like to that I like to share and put out there because I think there's something interesting about it. Yeah, I think a lot of us are still trying to figure out the best way to get those answers. So I think we should do an episode one day just dedicated to prompt engineering and and what it takes to, to come up with the perfect prompt. Um, I've done some experimentation and I found that just giving it a little bit of context some specific information, mm -hmm. what your goal is, and then um, asking it for your preferred response format is usually a good start to, to getting to the, the perfect prompt, but um, it just depends on what your question is, of course. Yeah, I think if I were going to redo this uh, exercise again, I would probably prompt with something other than whimsical alternatives, uh, because these are, these are fun. These are fun. But um, I think we could have gotten a little bit more almost absurdist. So some of the whimsical alternatives uh, it suggested, instead of calling it spatial computing, uh, wizard goggles. Wizard goggles. <laughs> See, there's a lot of uh, room for interpretation with, with the word whimsical. So I think you got to be more specific next time. Yeah, yeah. Um, this one's also quite good. Pixie dust projections. Uh, it, it suggested that this would uh, conjure images of fairy tales and magic, implying technology that sprinkles pixie dust to transform the world around us, which I thought was interesting. Um, a, gal a galactic window uh, was one of the uh, phrases it offered. Um, quantum cork glasses, uh, which sounds kind of fun to say, but is not particularly uh, instructive. And uh, they referred to it as a time traveler's visor, uh, which is they think is a fun imaginative term that implies the ability to transcend the usual boundaries of space and time, which is kind of good, but I, I kind of like wizard goggles. Uh, so if I see someone using a Apple vision pro, I might say like, Oh, I really like those uh, wizard goggles. You got going there. If anybody from Apple's marketing team is listening, I think wizard goggles is the new name. It's settled. For sure. For sure. Done. All right. Um, your turn, my friend. Uh, what did you ask generative AI this week? Yeah, so my job's a little bit different. And I work in digital marketing in my day today. And a lot of my time is spent coming up with reports, trying to make sense of data. And a lot of time is spent in Google Analytics. So I upgraded to ChatGPT4 in November of last year. And mm -hmm. I'm finding that it is a great tool for 
just reading data and giving suggestions on um, on anything that you're looking for in terms of what's missing from your content. It can even read your top 10 performing blogs and give you more insight into who your audience is, what are what are their interests, and how do you tailor some more content to uh, to align with their interests in terms of ongoing blogs and even podcast episodes. So it's really saved me a lot of time and just my report gathering and just trying to make sense of a lot of this data that I'm pulling from Google Analytics. Um, you can really just export a CSV, go in there and do a simple upload and ask it for additional content suggestions, for instance. And um, I came up with some really great blogs in the last week just from doing that. That's really fascinating. Um, I have recently been lamenting that there's a couple of services that I interact with that the reporting is kind of uh, limited. Uh, and it hadn't, in terms of the visualization of, of the analytics that I get out, um, I hadn't, it hadn't even occurred to me uh, to kind of like pull that into something and uh, share it with ChatGPT in a way that would let me see kind of, um, you know, how my, how my, how I'm performing. Uh, just, you know, case in point, uh, I have one of my new things for 2024 is I've stepped up my usage of Todoist uh, as an app for kind of managing the things that I have going on um, and super helpful, but I would really love a little bit more insight in terms of like how many tasks I'm getting done, how many tasks within a different project or a different label I'm actually getting accomplished. Uh, it's a little bit hard to digest uh, just in terms of the interface itself, but you've inspired me to maybe I could pull that out of there and pop it into ChatGPT and have it give me some, some actual interesting analysis. It'll definitely make your life a lot easier. I think the most powerful feature for me is just using it as a summary tool and mm -hmm. just feeding it big pieces of information and having it make sense of that in a very condensed way. Um, one other example is you can just simply give it a blog post, give it a URL and say, hey, ChatGPT, give me the TLDR of this article. And within a few sentences, it'll simply make sense of that and just spit out a quick summary. I even use that for creating podcast descriptions sometimes. I'll upload a full transcript of you and Turley and ask it to tell me what the theme of the episode is and um, just maybe some other tidbits that I was missing in my own personal summary. So uh, I, I think it's fantastic for that. Brilliant. Yeah, I, I love that article summary feature myself. All right. Well, I would say that we should uh, let you go so that you can get this podcast edited and posted. But apparently, you're going to use ChatGPT to do half the work. So uh, you should have this. You should have this up in I in wish, no time. Wish it was that easy. I wish it was that easy. But we'll we'll get it together soon. But thanks All for right, having man. me on. I'm uh, looking forward to uh, to appearing again in the future, giving some more uh, ChatGPT. Yeah, we'll absolutely have you pop yeah. in again and uh, share some thoughts. So on that note, I want to thank everyone for joining us today. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe so you don't miss any of our upcoming episodes. Our ambition is to continue to cover the important topics and trends shaping industrial innovation from manufacturing to supply chain. We'll see you next time on The Modern Industrialist.